The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Always nice to share a good news story every once in a while. We have two, I would say, I would consider them VIPs, very important people. We'll start off with Patrick LaForge, who's a volunteer at Pilgrim's Hospice, but he's also the former president and CEO of the Edmonton Oilers. You probably know his name on that side of things. Hello, Patrick. Welcome to the show. Howdy doody. Nice to be here today, although I'd expect sunshine and open roof here pretty quick. It is a beautiful day. <laughs> it is. A, hey, we could take this out to the patio if we had the capabilities. And we also <laughs> welcome Monica Robson, the executive director at Pilgrim's Hospice. Thank you for joining us. Monica. Thank you so much for having me. So Edmonton's first ever residential hospice. Tell us a little bit about what what that could mean for our city. Um, Well, we are the first freestanding residential hospice and what that means for our city is just really bringing all the programming and support for anyone facing end of life uh, their loved ones as well as anyone grieving the loss of a loved one all that supportive programming under one roof so it's basically from diagnosis through the grief journey we can support individuals that are dealing with that how much different is that than, than than spending time in a hospital? I mean, is it just more? Is it just an easier, more calm setting? Um, it is actually, yeah, it is absolutely uh, a m- much more home-like environment than a hospital setting. And uh, we have, we're building it very, very uh, well thought out design. So purpose built, lots of spaces for families, uh, the ability for families to stay in the room with their loved one. Um, also, we'll have a space that will convert to almost like a guest suite for families that have more people to stay. Um, and it, it is, it's a more comfortable environment, more homelike. The rooms are furnished with a hospital bed, but the rest of the room furnish- furnishings are all very like you'd see in a really nice house. It really just takes a lot of the stress away. It sounds like it, it, it just it keeps your it keeps your mind off a lot of the negative that can go involved in these sort of situations, right? Absolutely, and uh, and the other thing that's really important too is everybody that will be working works with us now and will be working with in the future. End of life is something that they're all specialists in. So the conversations and the things that are happening, they're so well informed. They really can help guide our families and their loved ones through those journeys and through those all that uncertainty. Patrick, how did you get involved with this as a volunteer? Well, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, Pilgrim's Hospice uh, is a very special and wonderful solution for end of life in our communities. I had some friends in uh, end of life circumstances in uh, southern Alberta in Okotoks. They were spending time in the residential hospice there and uh, that's when I first realized wow there is a significant alternative in the in the marketplace or in the world to to uh, a, a, or an institutional uh, end of life, and I was so impressed, and so was their family, uh, telling me that how it happened and how it the last few weeks came together, so that people had time and space and professional support to get them to the end, and uh, I, I became a friend of mine was uh, connected to Edmonton's Pilgrims Hospice, and uh, I realized this campaign was ongoing and uh, I stepped up I called him and I said I would like to help I would like to be part of that uh, uh, campaign and he said okay you're gonna have to pat no he said (laughs) absolutely we'd love to have you and so I've been knees deep in the project along with a lot of other people 
for a couple of years. And this is, I mean, you mentioned a couple of years. This is quite an undertaking. Just do you mind sharing, either of you, the, the insight of, of the work that goes into making, helping something like this come to fruition? Um, sure, I can start. And Patrick, you can jump right in. It's, uh, you know, it's been a lot of planning. This has been um, part of the organization's strategic plan for some time now. Uh, but really, we, you know, we were able to um, secure our cornerstone gift of $3 million. And um, we moved forward very quickly uh, with planning from that. The RFP went out for architecture. We started to assemble our committees. Um, then once we hired our architects, we sent the RFP out for construction management. And all the while raising as much money as we can, talking to many, many people about the project and really trying to inform. And Patrick has been such an amazing support, um, introducing us to people that might have an interest in the project and, and really moving it forward, building Building a lot of awareness. So, if you look a little bit, you don't have to look very far. Although some, it's a topic that not everybody wants to discuss. On the other hand, none of us are getting out alive, and I don't mean that as a joke. There is a, a an end of life discussion that we should all have. I'm not preaching. I'm just saying it should happen, and it does involve uh, how uh, the community would like to treat people who are in those last few weeks of life, and I think that's important. In Ontario, if I check, uh, there's upwards of 54 residential freestanding hospices, and uh, in in communities all across the province. So they've been way ahead of Alberta in this regard, and been at it for a number of years. Monica worked in the system there, in uh, Ontario and she's learned and experienced at uh, operating and developing facilities and now she's here. But uh, as soon as you you hear that and see that, you say there's a better way. And so uh, getting involved really is a camp. Uh, the, the hospice society has been around forever and they've been offering services in a, in a day home type atmosphere. Our, our good friend Dave Williams, recently of the Eskimos, uh, was a, 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 a customer, if you will, a guest uh, of the Hospice Society at the old facility. And we looked around and Monica came and said, here's what other communities are doing. Why don't we do one of these for Edmonton? And that's the way it happened. Yeah, how come it's... It, it it has taken this long to get. You mentioned Alberta being a bit behind in these com- these facilities yeah. being in other provinces. Um, was it just a matter of, of space, or, or it, was it just a matter of somebody stepping up and saying, "Hey, this is something that we need to have in our community." Um, I think Edmonton, we are very fortunate because we do have hospice beds within our zone. They're all within long-term care and continuing care facilities. Uh, I think it really just took an organization to stand up and say, you know what, that's great and we have the ability to serve our um, our residents in that, in that facility. But there is, like we said, we think there's just... There is a a different model that will fit within the system, um, but will enhance uh, end-of-life care in our community. And really, it's just, it's elevating it, and that's what we want to do. Monica, I'm hoping you can take us into a little bit of of the timeline, because I'm not... I'm not sure. Is it is it a, is it weeks, months, a year? How how long could could a family or an individual realistically spend time in in the the hospice? If we're talking specifically about residential hospice care, um, typically the admission criteria is a life um, a prognosis of 
four months or left, less to live. Uh, the individual isn't undergoing any active curative treatment anymore. Really, it's comfort measures, it's pain and symptom management. Um, the average length of stay, and it's the same here as it is in, in Ontario, the average length of stay is about 17 days. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, everyone that you, we had and where I was in Ontario, we had many residents, some that would be with us for three months, some that were with us even for three hours. So it really just depends, but you get that 17, 17 days seems to be the average. I imagine there was a level of consultations going on with, with what truly would be the most comfortable, the most uh, peaceful, the most respectful um, atmosphere to build in in hopes of, of this building. Do either of you mind going into and with you with Patrick with with your experience with with friends who have been through it? What what are the sticking points that people really want to see in a building like this? Well, for me, uh, that the space, you know, the privacy. My father uh, passed away not so long ago. It was in a four bed ward. Uh, in, in palliative care in a, in a good Alberta hospital. And uh, the, the peace, the privacy, and the comfort available to the four families that were sharing four end-of-life experiences at one time was minimal. And, uh, and at the time, you know, I wasn't really rocked by it. I thought, well, this is good enough, and this is what we have in Alberta. But when I found out more about the hospice world, well, my, my eyes went on, uh, my brain lit up and said, we've got to strive for this, a, a change. But for me, some of the services that were so helpful to my friend and our friend Dave Williams were grief counseling and dealing with the issues uh, associated with your end of life and your family's ability to access and your family and your friends, in Dave's case, um, access to that grief uh, professional support before, during, and after. And so that uh, that's a big phase, and it's some for many people, most people, it's a very difficult topic to deal with. It's 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 gut wrenching, and uh, and that professional support really makes the difference. And to me, that's a one of the most significant pieces uh, of the service. We're going to take a break, but on the other side, we want to talk to you about fundraising efforts, the groundbreaking, <laughs> and uh, the significance, value, and importance of Harold Rusin in all of this. Yeah, absolutely. In studio with us right now, Patrick LaForge, a volunteer at Pilgrim's Hospice and, of course, the former president and CEO of the Edmonton Oilers, as well as Monica Robson, the executive director of Pilgrim's Hospice. And pretty exciting news that we just learned shovels in the ground. At, I want to make sure I get this right. Edmonton's first ever standalone residential hospice. And it's in, in the Crestwood neighborhood, correct? Yes, we are right at the end of Candy Cane Lane. So when you, I mean, shovels in the ground yesterday, that's fairly recent. What a, what a big moment. Take me through your your emotions when when you see that i mean i know it's just a big hole right now but it's an important big hole to you it is and um i've been we're we're, we're operating out of a temporary location that's not too far away from there so um i do typically drive by on my way to work and uh, yesterday morning normally there's like as they've been doing the demo there's been you know one guy two people kind of working and yesterday i went by and uh you know there's the excavators there and there's like three or four workers there and then there's our site super is there and another person from our construction management firm. So it was, you know, it's starting to get busier. Like there's more people There's more, and there is a big hole with a gigantic pile of dirt. How about fundraising efforts? I know it is a large sum of money, and but things are, are going well to this point, but there's still plenty of work to be done. 
Let me tell you, fundraising is a tough, it's a difficult <laughs> job. I've, I've tackled everything, I think, in my life, but door-to-door or face-to-face fundraising is really difficult, and you really have to have a purpose to get people's time and attention and to make it relevant for them and their families and the reasons why they should think about, consider uh, the opportunity that might be facing them. And there's lots of options for for uh, what I have in my wallet, what you have in your wallet. And you want to feel like if you're going to give it, it's going to make a difference in the community. So uh, the capital campaign team, which I'm on and is chaired by Richard Wong, um, is a really highly passionate group of people who have adopted this purpose for their thing to do, me included. And... Uh, we are locked onto it uh, as best we can uh, with the most amount of polish, supported by Monica and her group with the right facts, the right details, the right bits of information, various options and ways that you can make a contribution from writing a check to sending us some shares in a company that you've purchased to making a month-to-month commitment over a longer period of time to you know, all forms of creativity that Monica can turn into bricks and mortar and beds and, and flooring and, and cloth, towels. And uh, so we meet with a, a, numbers, a number of people. Uh, now that the news has been out uh, for a year or so that we've been talking about it, people are calling us and saying, I heard about this. What's up? At least they're very much aware of it. Uh, the campaign was uh, boosted dramatically by a gift from the Rusin family, Harold Rusin in particular, uh, a, a very large gift, and it significantly made this uh, project very viable overnight. And uh, thank you, Harold, and uh, thank you for all that you do. A very caring person in our community had uh, the opportunity, made a gift, and he's right involved. After that, friends and of mine, his, others in the community have continued to make significant gifts of their own, and they can leave a legacy. The gift can be turned into a legacy, naming a room, a hallway, other parts of the facility that will last more than a than a generation. Well, and you're taking it a step further with uh, Mr. Rusin. I mean, uh, naming the building after. It just shows you just how significant and how important that yeah. contribution was to this project. Yeah, I've known Harold a long time. As you know, he was part of the Edmonton Investors Group that owned the Edmonton Oilers starting in 1998 and effectively one of my bosses <laughs> uh, who became a good friend. And uh, I would tell you that it, uh, the gift that Harold and his family made was not conditional on his name being on the building. I can say that with great deal of fact. Um, it, uh, through some conversation, it became important to us more so that we have his name on the building than the reverse. And that's, the, in my opinion, pretty good description of the guy. Wow, what is I mean, and again, I'm what a special gesture. I'm sure the family was incredibly touched. that's that's no small feat to say that that to know that that was truly taken with so much love and respect. And yeah. Monica, yeah, absolutely. It, Monica, if you could speak to to where we go from here, I know that you guys have made significant ground on this, but there is still a little bit more to be done in terms of fundraising and, and getting all of those odds and ends tied up, right? Absolutely. So um, we are very focused on opening our doors by the end of 2020. Wow. Um, we had set the goal of uh, raising $9 million and having a construction start by August of this year, which we 
we uh, achieved. So we're at $9.8 million raised. We have another $5.2 million left to raise, uh, which is still a significant amount of money. Um, we're happy to talk to anybody that's interested in the project. They can go to homeforhospice.com to learn more. Uh, but we really, we need the community support to basically take this across the finish line. So true. I, I want to add, Monica, that 5.2 is a lot of money still to be raised, and we're campaign team is on it. There's uh, been no request for government funding, uh, and uh, which is somewhat unique in this world these days. And the facility will be finished and built without a penny of government money. We'll integrate the project into healthcare in our province, and uh, it'll be a recipient or an aligned aligned with healthcare. And uh, this is pretty cool. I, I, I that in particular. Uh, really was another step up for me. I, 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 when I heard that there wasn't going to be any government money, I, that really motivated me. So we have a little over a minute to go, and I'll open it up to the both of you. Just what can we expect next year when those doors finally open and we can, and you folks can finally, you know, start helping those that need the help? Um, well, we certainly look forward to the opportunity of being able to serve more and more Edmontonians um, through their end-of-life journey and the grief journey that follows. Um, we expect that we'll serve over 3,000 people per year. Um, the thing that's most exciting to me is, again, the building is its very well-designed and purpose-built. So even our existing programs that have run out of repurposed, kind of adequate space will be running out of space that is designed specifically for those programs and services to come from including the residential care and I think we'll just we'll elevate what end-of-life care can look like in our city and we'll serve all those people that need it uh, uh, for me uh, I would say as a marketer you want to have a product that you can point at and say there it is you can touch it you can see it operate you can feel it and you can see what it provides in terms of a community solution in reality and that at that moment for all of us in the fundraiser and all the people who who are going to face those circumstances it will be real for them then and very meaningful all right that is the voice of patrick laforge joined by monica robson we wish you all the best in your future endeavors we i'm fairly certain that this is going to be an incredible structure to have in our city thank you both thank you thank you